Good morning. Welcome to Houghton Wesleyan Church on this beautiful morning as we gather for worship. Please stand and join me in the call to worship. We love you, O Lord, our strength. I called to the Lord, who is worthy of praise, and I have been saved from my enemies. For who is God besides the Lord, and who is the rock except our God? The Lord lives. Praise be to my rock.
Father, we offer our praise and honor to you. That your kingdom is forever. That you are the almighty God. Our rock and our fortress. As we gather for worship today, we come to acknowledge who you are. And to open our hearts to you. We know you're present with us in worship today. We thank you. And we ask that you will work in our lives in this time together. And we pray this through Christ. Amen. Before you're seated, take a moment, share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship today. highlight uh, for you this morning is hopefully you're aware we're in summer sabbath and so we're meeting for one worship service at 10 o'clock on sundays and all of you know that because you're here and the people who aren't here don't know that i guess so uh just just so you're aware of that uh also i just want to i don't i was gone on a week of vacation and i just wanted to make sure that we uh we announced the the birth of sarah jane spadeholtz uh, to Michael and Emily, uh, grandparents Doug and Phyllis Gardy, and great-grandparents Ken and Karen Gardy. And we celebrate with them and rejoice in this gift of new life and, and uh, this blessing to not only their family, but our family as well. And we rejoice with them. Uh, yesterday was district conference, which, for those who are not aware, is a gathering of all the Wesleyan churches and representatives from those churches, pastors from western New York, And basically, it's the western eight counties of New York and a couple of churches in northern Pennsylvania. And uh, as a part of the conference, um, there was a presentation made by Houghton College. Uh, Every year, the college presents a Pastor of the Year Award. And uh, it is not just for western New York, but uh, in fact, it's it's, uh, seldom in western New York, a pastor in western New York, but really throughout uh, mainly the eastern southern United States, but it's, it's really throughout the whole church. And uh, yesterday's award was given to a youth pastor of the year by the college. And uh, it was exciting for that award to be given to our own John Cole. And, uh, yeah, exactly. I wanted to make sure that you knew that because, uh, you know, we, we appreciate John. Uh, John has been here on our staff for 12 years, and which is probably an all-time record for youth pastors in one church. Um, but, you know, if you've had children in youth ministry, you know the kind of youth pastor that John is. And um, as I said to, to in the, some remarks that I wrote about John, uh, he cares. And not just about our youth, but about the whole church. And uh, many of you have had interactions with him through a variety of ministries that he is connected to and things that he does. And we appreciate John, and it's a joy to work with him. 
And uh, I just wanted to make sure that, uh, that you knew the recognition that he got because John is a pretty humble person and I doubt if he would say anything to anyone about it. So we wanted to do that. So uh, congratulations, John, and we appreciate you very much. Thank you. Uh, it is a, a joy as a church family uh, to welcome new little ones into, uh, into the family of, of, the, of the people of God. And it's also a joy to uh, dedicate our children to God. And this morning we have the opportunity to do that again. Andrew and Susie, God has blessed you with this little one, and today you come to dedicate your gift back to God. You are here today because of your own faith in Jesus Christ, and in this public act of dedication, you are declaring your desire that he would be raised in the love and grace of God within the nurturing spirit of the church. In this act, you're welcoming the prayers and the support of the church and declaring your desire that he would early learn the things of God And that his life would be defined in a lifelong commitment to follow God to the very end of his life. That he might receive the promise of eternal life with Christ. But in order that this may be accomplished, it will be your duty as parents to teach your child early the fear of the Lord. To watch over his education that he may not be led astray by false teachings or doctrines. To direct his mind to the holy scriptures as expressing the will and authority of God for all humanity. And to direct his feet to the sanctuary. To restrain him from evil associates and habits, and as much as possible to bring him up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Will you endeavor to do so by the help of the Lord? In Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, we read these words People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant, and he said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, put his hands on them, and blessed them. What name have you given your child? On behalf of your parents, your family, and this congregation, I dedicate you, Christian David Rohrbach, to God, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. As I mentioned, each time we dedicate our children to God, this is a, a bringing together of a threefold covenant. And I sort of think of it as a triangle wrapped around Christian. And God is at the base of that triangle, and we know that God is faithful to him, will always be faithful to him, and is already at work in his life. And uh, Andrew and Susie have made their declaration of being one side of the triangle, and they've, they've declared their desire as parents. Okay, we're okay here. We're okay. They've declared their desire as parents to do everything in their power through the grace of God to nurture him in the faith. And we also have a responsibility. We're the other side of the triangle. And uh, because his view of God will be shaped a lot by what he finds in the church. And uh, for some of us, it will be in structured ways like a classroom uh, or an activity, a club. And often, though, it's just in those serendipitous moments when we encounter him and we're friendly and loving and kind. And as a church, we express the heart of God. 
I like to think that that triangle sort of is, is kind of padded, you know, on the inside. And to give him the opportunity to, to bump up against it. And this is a safe place for him to explore his faith and to, to be nurtured and to grow. And all of us need that. And so I'd like for you to stand and to affirm your commitment to Christian and to Andrew and Susie as the church. As the Church of Jesus Christ, will you, with the help of God, do everything possible to help Christian grow in the nurture and grace of Jesus Christ? Will you love him? Will you be a godly witness to him? And will you help him know and accept the grace of God in his life? If so, answer, we will. Gracious Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for the gift of children. And we feel so privileged. We are blessed with children. We thank you for Christian, for bringing him into this world, and for blessing his parents and his family with his presence, and for blessing us. We pray, Father, for your grace upon him. We know that you love him with an everlasting love. We know that you are at work in his heart, even now, wooing him to yourself. We pray that he will have a heart that is always turned to you, a heart of compassion and love a heart of mercy and truth. We pray, Father, that the yearning of, his, of every part of his being will be for you. And that in that yearning, he will find the joy of life with you. We pray, Father, for Andrew and Susie and ask that you would bless them as parents and this great privilege and responsibility that uh, they have, have taken on. And we ask that you will, you will give them the grace that they need in every moment of life. And as Christian grows and matures, give to them increasing strength and grace and wisdom and all that they need to nurture him, to know you, to love you, and to be the kind of person who flourishes in this world through your grace. Help us as a church, Father, to bear witness to who you are, to Christian, that in our lives, in our thoughts, in our actions, in our words, we would be a catalyst for him to want to follow you. Thank you for his life. We dedicate him to you, and we do so with great joy because we know who you are. We pray this through Christ. Amen. Please be seated. I'm going to ask you to stand back up, please, as we sing our praises to God together.
Following the scripture reading, children may be dismissed for Children's Church. Today's scripture reading is Psalm 55. Listen to my prayer, O God. Do not ignore my plea. Hear me and answer me. My thoughts trouble me, and I am distraught because of what my enemy is saying, because of the threats of the wicked, for they bring down suffering on me. And assail me in their anger. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen on me. Fear and trembling have beset me. Horror has overwhelmed me. I said, Oh, that I had the wings of a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. I would flee far away and stay in the desert. I would hurry to my place of shelter. Far from the tempest and storm. Lord, confuse the wicked, confound their words, for I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they prowl about on its walls. Malice and abuse are within it. Destructive forces are at work in the city. Threats and lies never leave its streets. If an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were rising against me, I could hide. But it is you a man like myself, my companion, my close friend, with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship at the house of God as we walked about among the worshipers. Let death take my enemies by surprise. Let them go down alive to the realm of the dead, for evil finds lodging among them. As for me, I call to God, and the Lord saves me. Evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress, and he hears my voice. He rescues me unharmed from the battle waged against me, even though many oppose me. God, who is enthroned from of old, who does not change, he will hear them and humble them, because they have no fear of God. My companion attacks his friends. He violates his covenant. His talk is smooth as butter, yet war is in his heart. His words are more soothing than oil, yet they are drawn swords. Cast your cares on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. But you, God, will bring down the wicked into the pit of decay. The bloodthirsty and deceitful will not live out half their days. But as for me, I trust in you. This is the word of the Lord.
Please be seated. I suspect we've all been through a scenario that might be something like this. You, um, you share something, some deep secret in your heart with a close friend. And you, um, you, you d- describe it in the context of the confidentiality of that conversation. And then three, four, five days later, you start hearing things from people about what you said to this friend. Or perhaps you've invested yourself in, in uh, someone younger and less experienced. And, and you, you've mentored them and you've worked with them and, and you've poured your life into them. And then they go out on their own and you begin to hear things coming back to you that are not so kind about who you are and how you treated them and what you did. There are a lot of things in life that are painful to us. We all face them. We struggle with with all kinds of painful experiences. I suspect there is little more painful than being betrayed. There is little more difficult to deal with than someone who betrays our trust. And this is exactly where we find David in this 55th Psalm. If you listen to David's words, he he is sharing the the pain and the agony of his heart. Beginning in verse 12, he said, It's not an enemy who taunts me. I could bear that. It's not my foes who so arrogantly insult me. I could have hidden from them. Instead, it's you, my equal, my companion, my close friend. What good fellowship we once enjoyed as we walked together to the house of God. You get to verse 12. Uh, 20, as for my companion, he betrayed his friends. He broke his promises. His words are as smooth as butter, but in his heart is war. His words are as soothing as lotion, but underneath are daggers. David is wrestling with being betrayed. He's wrestling with this struggle of, of investing himself in friendship. And that person has turned on him, and he is feeling the agony of it. When you read the psalm, you get the sense of David's emotional uh, struggle. I mean, he's an emotional wreck. At the beginning of this psalm, he says, uh, My heart pounds in my chest. The terror of death assaults me. Fear and trembling overwhelm me. I can't stop shaking. I mean, this is, it doesn't sound like David, does it? That sounds sort of like you and me. I don't often think that I'm in the same league as David. And yet here is David expressing the pain and the agony and the fear and the anxiety because of what has happened to him. And his response to that is as natural as our response tends to be when we feel betrayed and burdened. We're in in pain. What does David do? He wants to run. I mean, isn't that what we want to do? You know, we're in the middle of a crisis, we're in the middle of of feeling this deep pain, and we think to ourselves, if we could just remove ourselves from the situation, if I could just get away from this person, if I can get away from the people who are saying these things, it would be better. 
And so we remove ourselves. Now, there is something to be said for some distance that can be helpful. You know, it's difficult to sit in the middle of a situation and to hear all the things coming at us that with every one of them, it's like a dagger into our souls. It's hard to just keep taking that. And so there is something to be said for distance that is good. But the truth of the matter is, if you've ever tried to run from a problem, you soon discover that the problem just goes with you. Because the problem's in here. The problem's up here. The issue is really less about what's out here as to what we're experiencing in here. And so you, you see someone that triggers all the feelings again. Or you get into a circumstance and everything comes back to you. Or you're just walking along someday and all of a sudden it all just pops back into your head and all the emotion comes flooding back to you. And David says, if, oh, that I had wings like a dove, I'd fly away and then I'd rest. I'd fly far away to the quiet of the wilderness. I mean, he really wants to get away. He wants to get into the wilderness. How quickly I would escape far from this wild storm of hatred. David's not so different from us. But the thing that's really, I think, troubling David here in this psalm is not just that he's been betrayed, but it's that because of that betrayal, other people are being hurt. As you read through this psalm, you find that David says it's not just about him, but it's about what's going on in the city. We don't know what the psalm is connected to, what event in David's life. Some of the psalms tell us. This, this psalm does not tell us. But it, it makes me wonder, it sounds a lot like 2 Samuel 15, where Absalom has, uh, gathers together soldiers, and after a few years of, of creating a spirit of insurrection, instigates a coup against David and forces David to flee Jerusalem, and he takes over the city. But the hardest thing about this for David is that David's closest confidant, Ahithophel, turns on David and becomes the closest advisor to Absalom, David's enemy. And he is telling Absalom all the secrets of David. He's telling Absalom all the weaknesses of David. And it makes me wonder if this isn't the event that David is describing here. And what ends up happening, as Samuel tells us, is that the city ends up in chaos. And people are persecuted. and, And people are taken advantage of. And there is immorality and there's just chaos in the city. And the reality of betrayal is that it's never just about two people. If someone is willing to betray another person whether it's just out of feeling anger or they gain some wealth or some fame or some power or something comes back to them. If if someone's willing to betray someone, they're probably willing to betray anyone. And it creates this spirit that is so much bigger than just David and this person. The whole city is in shambles and chaos. I suspect David, as he's watching this unfold, is thinking to himself, man, I so want to get in there and take care of this thing. 
I want to get in and rescue. Because that's what David is, right? I mean, David's a rescuer. He's a warrior. He's a fighter. Think of all the stories we know of David. And that's who David is. I mean, this picture in the psalm, really, it, it doesn't really feel like David. He feels so vulnerable. But David is power and strength. And as I was thinking about that, it, it made me think to back when I was a child. And we, I come home from school, and there were two shows that I always watched. We were in southern Indiana, and we, Indianapolis TV station, Channel 4, in the afternoon would do Popeye and Janie with cartoons and The Adventures of Superman. Some of you are old enough to remember The Adventures of Superman. Black and white, George Reeves, you know, not quite as campy as the old Batman show, but kind of close to that. And, and what struck me is, I, and I went back, I looked at this, got the wording right, but beginning of every episode, the announcer would say, faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird, it's a plane, it's Superman. Yes, it's Superman. Strange visitor from another planet who came to earth with power and abilities for be far beyond those of mortal man. Superman who can change the course of mighty rivers, bend steel with his bare hands, and who disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and the American way. Right? I mean, yeah, isn't that David? Right? I mean, I'm thinking, now that's David. I can hear the announcer going, here is King David, stronger than a lion, more powerful than a nine-foot giant, able to conquer his enemies with a single blow. This is your King David. I mean, this is who David is. And yet, what do we find him doing? Lord, I can't. I can't do it. And you and I are continually tempted to take into our own hands the stuff that happens to us. We're continually tempted to think, I can solve this. I can do this. I can make this happen. I can figure this out. And we have all kinds of plans for doing that. David reminds us in this psalm that the only answer truly is God. And so he begins the psalm by saying, Lord... I'm calling out to you. Lord, I need you. Hear my prayer. Because I can't. I can't. And I believe you can. When you read this prayer, you get the sense of the agony of David's spirit. Listen to my prayer, O God. Don't ignore my cry for help. The message says, don't act like you don't hear me. I love the way Eugene Peterson always has a way of turning a phrase, right? Listen, answer me. I'm overwhelmed by my troubles. You almost get the sense that David is down on his knees. He's begging God to hear him, which seems like an odd thing to do. You would think he would just say, Lord, help me, and that's all he would need. There is a sense almost in which David is badgering God. He's begging God. He's pleading with God. And it may make us feel a little bit uncomfortable, but sometimes you just have to do that. Our hearts are so in such anxiety, such burden, such a struggle that we, we just need to pour out our hearts to God. And the great thing about it is that God never is never wearied by our prayers. 
It's not as if God doesn't hear him. That the, uh, David's pleading isn't for God's sake, it's for David's sake. Sometimes you just have to be, you just have to pour out your heart to God. And you just have to let God know the despair that you feel. And God isn't disappointed by that. He realizes that as human beings, we need to do that sometimes. The depth of our pain and our agony is so deep that it's not enough just to say, Lord, help me and walk on. There is this struggle and this battle. First of all, I think David is wrestling with really turning it all over to God. He wants to be the rescuer. He wants to be the answer to the problem. And he knows that he can't. So he says, Lord, I I can't do this. I need you. And he pours out his heart to God. God is never disappointed by our honesty. God is never disappointed or wearied by our honesty. When we pray, sometimes, I used to do this, I would pray in such a way that I would tell God what I thought he wanted to hear, even if that wasn't what was in my heart. As if God doesn't know what's in my heart. The very fact that we're honest with God acknowledges something about who God is. That he is big enough and caring enough and loving enough to take it. And a part of being honest with God is not just telling God we need your help. But it's also sometimes telling God what we want him to do. And David is not shy about telling God what he wants him to do. I suspect as we're reading along the psalm, there's a party that's going, yikes, that makes me uncomfortable. Right? I mean, he says in verse 15, let death stalk my enemies. Let the grave swallow them alive, for evil makes its home within them. He moved to verse 23. You, O God, will send the wicked down to the pit of destruction. Murderers and liars will die young. Now, that just doesn't sound very Christian, does it? You've got to remember, David is in agony of soul here. And he's just being honest. And I think God would rather have us be honest about what we're really feeling than pretend that we're not. I mean, what does pretending get us? It just drives down our struggle even more. And, and the pathway to getting out of that and getting through that is saying, God, I need your help And I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. I'm really, really hurting here. I think it's important to to understand David's prayer in the context of not just... It's not just about David. Remember, this is about the city. This is about injustice. David isn't just praying because of his own pain. He's praying for what he's seeing taking place in Jerusalem. And all the people who are being hurt... And quite frankly, injustice ought to elicit strong emotions from us about evil people. If we can read about people who are taking advantage of the most vulnerable in our society and and put it down and not think another thing about it, that's not being godlike, that's being apathetic. It ought to bother us deeply. When we know that there are people who are living 
their lives without the knowledge and the joy and the blessing of Christ. It ought to bother us deeply, the things that that people will do to some of the most vulnerable members of our society. It ought to concern us and bother us and elicit strong emotion when we read about refugees who have no place to go and are being abused and taken advantage of and manipulated and hurt even more. It's one of the things that that triggered my thoughts about this project we started back in May at the Matthew 820 project of trying to raise some funds and, and raise awareness and offer our prayers for refugees around the world because we can't just sit back and do nothing. And it ought to bother us because I think it bothers God. God loves people. He's not apathetic toward anyone. And being honest about that is important and it's good. But ultimately, David says, it's not so much about what I want. It's about believing that you, God, are just. You'll do what's right. David says, God... You do to people what needs to be done. The hard part of that is that we don't always get to see it. You know, often we don't get to see God be just. Sometimes we do, but often we don't. And we have to believe that God who is just, that God is who he says he is, and that the day is coming when God will set the record straight. And we trust in that. I mean, do, do we really want to worship a God who doesn't care about justice? Who doesn't care that the things that are happening to people in this world? I don't really want to worship a God like that. And sometimes it makes us uncomfortable when we read about the judgment and the wrath of God in the scriptures. And there are times where we read those things and we think, boy, I wish that wasn't there. Really? It's not us passing judgment. It is God, the God of the God who created all things, God who is holy and perfect and loving. And we're not talking about God just arbitrarily judging people. This is God who knows people's hearts, who is the great judge of all the earth. And he will do what is right. It's the good news of the gospel. God is not apathetic toward sin. God is not apathetic toward pain and injustice. God is at work even when we don't see it. And it's hard when we don't see it. I think one of the underlying things that's going on in this psalm is David says on a few different occasions... God, rescue me. You will rescue me. You will help me. You will come to my aid. You will do what is right. You will keep your saints, your godly people from falling. And that may mean that, that David is going to be restored, if that's the case of the scenario of the, of the psalm, that he's going to be restored to his kingdom, that things are going to be set right, that the evildoers are going to be taken care of. It may be that, and that's, I think that's probably a part of it. But I also think David is saying, God... I am coming to see that the greatest threat to me and the greatest threat to my people 
may not be this enemy. It may be bitterness in my heart. If you think back to moments when you felt betrayed and that deep hurt and that deep pain, I suspect that the greatest struggle is bitterness. It's hanging on to it. It's not wanting to let go of it. It's lashing out at people who hurt us. We're going to let them feel what we feel. And in those moments, we always find ways to justify our behavior, right? And we always find ways to say, well, they deserved it, or I'm just, I'm just teaching them a lesson, or maybe now they can feel what I've felt. But I guarantee you, anything that's done from a spirit of bitterness is going to end up bad. Bitterness never takes us down a road to anything good. Paul writes to the Ephesians and says, get rid of all bitterness. Be filled with the Spirit. And when he writes to the Galatians and he says, the fruit of the Spirit is, one of those things is not bitterness. It's love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. All of those things are the opposite of bitterness. I think it is probably the greatest work of the evil one when we are feeling pain that he just slowly and subtly creates a spirit of bitterness in us toward the people who have hurt us. And when we think about the bigger picture of injustice in the world, it's so easy to become cynical and bitter about the world. It's never going to change. Nothing's ever going to happen. Those people are just going to keep getting away with that. There's absolutely nothing we can do. And in the moments where you will see through history, where people have have risen up in rebellion against injustice, when they've done it from a spirit of bitterness, every single time, people who have been persecuted become persecutors. Because bitterness never leads to the kind of solution that God wants. The only solution that leads us to what God wants is love, forgiveness, grace, the Spirit's work in us. And that will come to us only when we trust God. It's fascinating to me that when you get to the end of this psalm, as David has been pouring out his heart in agony and pain and struggle and honesty, when you get to the end of it, you would almost expect him to say, and God, I'm going to sit back and you better do what I told you. But he doesn't. Very last words. Lord, all this stuff is happening. I don't understand it. I certainly don't like it. Here's what I want you to do. But I trust you. It is the call of the gospel continually on us. We trust him. And it is a continual call of the gospel because it is hard. 
Our natural human desire and our natural human tendency is to lash out, to rescue, to do what we want to do in the way that we want to do it. The hardest thing in the world is to step back and to say, God, I don't understand it. I don't know why you're doing this, why you're letting this happen. I don't understand what's going on, but I trust you. We've all been there at one point or another. I remember times in my life where I wanted more than anything else to hang on to my anger and my bitterness and the spirit of vengeance toward the people who hurt me. I might not have wanted them to go to the grave alive, as David says, but I wanted them to feel the pain that I felt. And every time in those moments, the Holy Spirit comes to me and says, Wes, you can do that. You can live that way. But you realize where that path is going to take you, right? Or you can trust me. Whether you understand it or not, you can trust me. And here's the thing that I've found. Every time I trusted God, it never led me to feeling like I lost something. It always led me to joy. It always led me to freedom. And the freedom of being set free to forgive and to love is kind of beyond words. And you can't really know that unless we make the decision to trust. It seems ironic to me that this whole psalm is really about when your trust is broken. And the solution to that is to trust When you put yourself out there, when you trust people, and they hurt us, the answer is not to go into our shell or to try to run away or to fight back or to get vengeance. The answer is to trust. To trust that God is who he says he is. That God can work in us just as He's working in others, in the world, in the situations and the circumstances in which we find ourselves. So, whatever you're struggling, maybe struggling with today, maybe it's something that's just happened. If it's something that you've been hanging on to for a long, long time. Is today the day when you say, Lord, I want to let go of this. Give me grace to trust you. Help me to want to trust you. Maybe help me to want to want to trust you. 
Just change my heart. Father, in this moment of silence, hear our prayers and speak peace and forgiveness and grace to us. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you for being who you are. And for wanting more for us than we even want for ourselves. Through Christ we pray. Amen. We have the privilege now to offer some more corporate prayers. Both for the needs of our congregation and the needs of the world. And uh, it's been our practice for a few years to open the altar rail to anyone who would like to come and offer your prayers here as we pray together. You might have noticed that the missions moment this morning is Paul and Jenny Christensen, who are uh, working in Indonesia. Paul's been part of the church for a number of years as a young person, connecting here with his family as they were missionaries. And I'm going to ask them to come and, and kneel here at the altar rail and and uh, those who may want to gather around them and offer prayers for them, we want to pray for them as a part of our prayer time this morning. And so let me invite those of you who might want to pray for them or who simply want to come and, uh, to the altar rail and offer your prayers to come now and to join me as we pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day you've given us, for your spirit in our hearts and our lives, for the truth of your word that through Christ sets us free. And we pray that you'd give us grace to live in that freedom. Lord, this morning we, we pray for the burden and the concerns of, of our own hearts and our lives and each other. We pray, Father, for those who are feeling the weight and sorrow of loss and grief and ask for your comforting presence upon each of them. We pray, Father, that you will uh, bring healing to all who are struggling with illness and pain. We pray especially for Blanche Weaver and Luke Heisinger, for Wade Marsh and Sheldon Emerson and Doug Bogdan, for Barb Rangel and Bob Joubert, for Laurel Bucher and Warren Woolsey for Bill Getty and Phil Muker, Mike Raybuck, Jill Tyson, for Bruce Brenneman, Bev Rett, and Micah Christensen, and 
Linda Roth and for Dick Gould and Emily Cricklar and for others who may be in our hearts and our minds today. Father, we pray for uh, the uh, relationships that you've given us. Forgive us for the many times when we have, we have uh, acted self-centeredly in our relationships and we've harmed each other and we've caused pain to each other. We pray that you will, you will work in us and in our relationships that we might be more committed to serving each other and forgiving each other, blessing each other, loving each other. Father, we thank you not only for the ministry of this church, but the churches around us. And today we pray for the Kenny Adia Hills Church in Portageville, Pastor Jamets. We pray that you would bless this congregation, that you would, you would bind them together in your grace and love, and that, that they would be a witness to those around them of who you are. And Father, we think of the world, the great needs of the world, and we do pray for refugees throughout the world who continue to struggle with shelter and food and the basic needs of society and our human, human existence. We pray, Father, for places of violence and fighting and flooding in our country and around the world. And Lord, we, we pray for the work of your people in the world. Today, we pray especially for Paul and Jenny. We're so privileged to have them here. And uh, we thank you for the work that they are doing, using their talents and sharing the love and knowledge of Christ. We pray, Father, that you will bless them and at this time away that they will be restored and renewed in spirit and mind and body. And as they go back, as they go back with a, a deeper sense of who you are in their lives and in their ministry, the people will see you in them. Give them wisdom to discern the times in which they may find themselves. Give them grace to, to live and to act in a way that would honor you. And may their witness bring about a fruit of harvest, of people whose lives are changed and who come to find the joy and the flourishing of hearts and lives surrendered to you. So we ask your blessing on them. Father, we pray for all of your people around the world who face great opposition and persecution. We ask that you would give them grace and strength and through their witness, may even those who persecute them come to faith in you. Lord, thank you for hearing our prayers today as you always do. We offer them in the strong and powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the one who went to the cross for us, who rose from the dead in power, who ascended to be with you and has promised to return and to establish his kingdom in all of its fullness. And the one who teaches us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We have an opportunity now to give back to God from all that he has given to us.
as our ushers come forward.
please stand as we sing together.
receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Thank you.